Football is around the corner, and we are ramping it up over here on the Ringer NFL feed in the month of August. Every week, Ben Solak and I will be bringing you not one, but two extra point takens. That's right. Double the trouble as we predict, debate, and analyze our way through camp and the preseason every Monday and Friday. But that is not all. Steven Ruiz and I will be coming to you every Wednesday. We'll talk about everything in the world of the NFL. And who knows? Maybe Steven will even have something nice to say about your favorite squad. Though, frankly, I wouldn't count on it. Subscribe to The Ringer NFL Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow The Ringer NFL on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Ringer NFL. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. On today's episode of One Shining Podcast, we have our guy Terrence Oglesby, a.k.a. T.O. He covers college basketball, but if you watch college basketball back in the mid-2000s, you remember him as the sharpshooter from Clemson. He is a, a guy who had a great two years with the Clemson Tigers, and we're going to talk about his background, his bio, and also I brought him on the show because I am trying to figure out my two early top 25 rankings. Again, you know, back in April, we get the way too early. I think in the summertime, we get more way too early. So this is just the too early brainstorm where I try to figure out my top 25. Spoiler alert, it's not going to be a top 25. They want to expand the tournament I want to expand the top 25 to the top 30. We're going to give we're going to give you 30 thoughts on 30 teams aka a little OSP 30 for 30. So myself and Terrence Oglesby will go through that. So it'll be a jam-packed college basketball show. We'll get some of our first impressions, our first thoughts on some of these top teams coming into the season. And we'll also try to sift through who is actually deserving of the preseason number one ranking. As we all learned last year, North Carolina did not deserve that preseason number one ranking, but that's another conversation for another day. Now let's get into the podcast. Kyle is on husband duty right now. Uh, if you're just checking in, he is taking care of his lovely wife at a dental appointment. So he is not going to be um, in the saddle today. We got our guy, Jack, helping us out, filling in for him. So a whole bunch of uh, hubbub before we get to the fact that we're going to talk about the top 30 teams in college basketball. Let's do all that. But first, Woody Durham. He takes the timeout. Technical They're foul. Technical foul. Technical foul. Welcome back to One Shining Podcast. I'm your host, Tate Frazier. And today, as I said at the top of the show, we are trying to brainstorm our too early top 25, a.k.a. our too early top 30. And joining us to do that, he is someone I have been a fan of from a basketball standpoint and in a commentating standpoint. He is the great Terrence Oglesby from Clemson back in the day. Terrence, how's it going, man? Uh, it's going well. That's a nice introduction, especially <laughs> coming from a UNC guy. I, I right. feel like with the North Carolina fan base in general, I've gone from hated as a player to now tolerated as a commentator. So I'll take it. Uh, and uh, man, I appreciate you having me on. I've been a long time listener. So thank you. 
Yeah, of course, man. And uh, like you said, I think uh, once the streak was over, right, and a lot of people forget this, Clemson was not able to win in Chapel Hill um, ever uh, until 2020. That's when I knew that the world was kind of broken, whatever matrix we were in when Clemson won in Chapel Hill. I think that was really... People talk about why Roy Williams quit coaching basketball. I still think it was that Clemson win in Chapel Hill. He'll never talk about that. But um, I think once that happened, we all got over ourselves. And, uh, you know, typically when I was growing up, there, there would be Clemson football fans and then they'd pull for Carolina during the basketball season you know that was kind of a nice thing but that changed a bit when you got there to Clemson so I want to do some bio stuff before we get into our top 30 can we just talk about your career at Clemson you know you're there for two years you make an impact now everybody wants to be a three-point specialist but you were one of the OG specialists um, and you were better than just a specialist but just in general how funny is it now to watch the game and see how much emphasis is on three-point shooting when back then it was kind of like you JJ Redick Justin Gray right there was a handful of guys you could point out and say they were special Wayne Ellington right um, but but how much have you seen that kind of change in today's game you know I had that conversation with somebody the other day w- would it be better for me to play in today's game or was it because the way the game was structured at that time that I stand out more right and I, I think I'd lean more <laughs> towards that side right because mm. now you know I was 6'2 I like to consider myself 6'3 of course that's my ego gave me that extra inch but that's about it but like it's uh I think because it was so different at that point in time, now guys are six five, six six. I mean, look at the Grady Dicks of the world. Look at look at all these different guys that shoot it, you know. Cam Johnson, shooters. right, on Team USA, right? Yeah, a lot of guys. Yeah, I mean, big switchable dudes that can all shoot the three. So the game's changed. Uh, so I, I did stand out because of that. Steph was in college when I was in college, so he hadn't really gotten to the NBA to where now he's changed everything. So I think uh, I stood out a lot at that point for a, a few reasons. One of those reasons being, you know, I shot the ball really well and I shot it from deep. So, and you bring up the Clemson, North Carolina thing. We finally (laughs) did get one. I thought we were going to get one my sophomore year because I had like Mm. 20 in the first half and I couldn't throw it in the ocean the second. So that's about how it went for Carolina, you know, Carolina Clemson. I was at that game and I remember it vividly. And I think that uh, everyone, when that game was over, the exasperation in the Dean Dome after that game, because it did feel like there were a couple Clemson games that North Carolina had during that period when they had Tyler Hansborough, Wayne Ellington, Ty Lawson, that whole group where you guys, I mean, Booker, yourself, I mean, there was a lot of talent down at Clemson. And you also had a talented coach. I want to talk about Oliver Purnell real quick. Just uh, the recruitment to Clemson with Oliver Purnell. He, you know, coached Team USA in 04. Clemson was, when they talked about the ACC back then, it was like the top two dogs, obviously, on Tobacco Road. But then you had Wake Forest, Clemson. There was a lot of teams that could be in that third team, whatever you want to call it. So what was it like getting recruited by Oliver Purnell and then going to join that program when it was on the rise? Well, Oliver was one of the geniuses of coaching in that he never got fired. So he was mm-hmm. always on the program to where he was <laughs> going to build it up for five years and then he was going to leave and then build up for five years and then he was going to leave. But uh, it, you think back to that staff that was at Clemson. Shaka Smart was on that staff. Yep. Will Wade was on that staff. And then ironically enough, Frank Smith was one of the other assistants on that staff who's now the head of the NCAA Fra- Infractions Committee. So him and Will know each other. <laughs> <laughs> they just know each other. Like if that played any part, I don't know, but they know each other. Uh, but Ron, Dr. Ron Bradley was the guy who recruited me. It was between them and Michigan. In my mind, Clemson was on their way up. They could hide some of my deficiencies as a defender. I realized I was going to have to guard the Danny Greens and Wayne Ellingtons of the world. And how can you kind of mask that? Put me in a zone in the full court and we'll just kind of scramble to find something in the last 10 seconds. So uh, Oliver was really good about, he, he hit the nail on the head. I wanted to play. I wanted to play quick. 
And then I needed to play alongside a lot of athletes and they needed an injection of skill anyway, because James Mays was a part of it. Cliff Hammonds was six, three, and he had a six ten wingspan. He could scratch mm-hmm. his knees without bending over. Like it was, they had a bunch of guys like that. And I kind of fit alongside that as that one ancillary piece that you tried to hide, but he was going to help you on the other end. And that's what they needed. So it made sense. I want to talk about the the Michigan aspect of your recruitment, but first I want to talk about you're, you're in Tennessee, you're in yeah. Cleveland, Tennessee. Um, most people would suspect that, you know, a program like Tennessee might be recruiting you. Um, there's always, you know, state politics and players and all that sort of stuff that come into the conversation. Did you want to play for Tennessee? Who did you grow up rooting for that you wanted to play for? Ironically enough, I grew up uh, really watching Florida with Mike mm. Miller, Teddy DuPay, Brett Nelson. Brett Nelson's yeah. now on staff somewhere. I can't remember exactly where, but he's on staff somewhere at UMass. He's with yes, Frank. With Frank Martin, um, yeah. And then Teddy DuPay was a big, big idol of mine just because how he could create, how he could shoot. And they make the final four. And I think they lose to Michigan State. What was this? In 90s, 2001, something. Yeah. Early 2000s, late 90s in that area. And I always followed Florida because they had some some tough dudes that could really shoot it. And they competed. Uh, when I got to that play, when I got to that place, like where I was going to go, Bruce Pearl was at Tennessee. They had Chris Lofton. They had Juwan Smith. Juwan Smith's from the same town. He's from Cleveland. So I kind of knew what was going on up there at that time. Uh, Bruce has changed kind of uh, his background checks because Tennessee, they had some rough guys whenever Mm -hmm. he was there. And I kind of knew that. But that all being said, Tennessee and Kentucky were pretty much the only SEC schools that didn't touch me. So it kind of opened the floodgates. And I grew up an ACC guy. I mean, like, I think I made a deal with my dad. I was like, hey, if I sign at an ACC school, do I get a new car before I go to college? And I did. (laughs) So that was, that was, uh, it was always a goal of mine. Michigan with the block in was great. Amaker was there. Yeah. But, uh, I grew up in East Tennessee and it's funny that you bring up the, Hey, they're Carolina basketball fans, but they're Clemson football fans. You see that in SEC country too. They're Tennessee, they're Tennessee football fans. And then they would jump over and be Kentucky basketball fans. So it doesn't matter what conference you're in. It's it's the same story. (laughs) It turns out that people like winning, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, they like to saddle up with the winners. Um, I did think it's fascinating because I was kind of going through some of your background. Obviously your last college game, you play against Michigan in the NCAA tournament. That was a team that you were considering going to out of it. Right. I got kicked out of the game. I wanted to ask you about that because you're kind of just, I I would watch the tape. You're just trying to fight over a screen. Maybe there's a little extracurriculars, but I mean, it's it's hard-nosed basketball at that point. You have to go to the locker room. You watch Clemson, I mean, come back, cut it to three. They, they had a shot there at the end of the game. Um, you know, just the the kind of full full circle moment of that to say, like, this is a program in another life I could have gone and played for. Now I'm playing them in the NCAA tournament. And then I want to talk about how you became kind of a pioneer and ended up going overseas. But first, let's talk about that moment in time. How hard was it to be in the locker room while that game's happening? Uh, buyer's remorse. No, I'm just mm. kidding. No, <laughs> yeah, it right. was um, it, it, that was really difficult. First of all, is there's just kind of this shell shock thing happening because it was one of those things. It was such a bang, bang play. The guy had two handfuls of my Jersey. Yes. Right. So I'm thinking I'm going to sweep through and come down and on my way, I might clip him just by accident. Might clip mm-hmm. the guy just because there's some gamesmanship involved. Then you slow it down to slow motion at a quarter of the speed. And it looks like I might as well be in the UFC. You look so, like Gerald Henderson, right? Yeah. They, they, they would think it was a Gerald Henderson situation. It, it wasn't that. And mm-hmm. funny enough, I run into the guy a few years later. We're both coming back from Europe from our seasons. And I was like, hey, man, my bad. He goes, man, I elbow people all the time and you didn't even get me good. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how that worked out. Now, that was tough. That was one of the hardest days ever because 
you, you know, you work and you work and you work. And Oliver had a hard time getting a win in the NCAA tournament. I, I don't think he ever did. And mm-hmm. uh, obviously, the Michigan thing had pretty much passed by I me. Mean, I didn't think put that much stock into it. Uh, I, I chose a school and I didn't really look back. And the, the thing that happened was it was unfortunate and it was tough because you work all year to put yourself in that position. And I believe we would have played Oklahoma in the second round. And I felt like we could have beaten Oklahoma. They had Blake Griffin, but I felt like we could pressure the heck out of them. So we could have made it to the Sweet 16 in my mind. So mm. all of that being said, I I did. Um, there, there's obviously a lot of things that happen in, a, in the, through the course of a game, but that didn't help because yeah. if nothing else, if I'm missing everything, at least I have that sort of gravity to where like they have to worry about where I'm at at all times. Yeah, right. It just helps everybody else. It gives them spacing. So, yeah, it checks a lot of boxes. And the funny part is, if you did go on to beat Blake Griffin, right, you could have played North Carolina um, in the in the NCAA tournament, which is a which is a funny, you know, that's how good the ACC was back then. I think you guys, well, you guys were a seven seed, but like one of those seven seeds that you never want to see. Um, and if you're a two seed, especially, you didn't want to see that team. So I I remember that vividly. But then I also remember that season wraps up. Um, this is after your sophomore year. You have two more years of eligibility. And then I know that you were born in Norway. I think you have dual citizenship, but you decided to go play overseas. It was you and Nick Kalathis, who Rick mm-hmm. Pitino famously said is the best point guard ever in the game of basketball, um, which I think is a high compliment coming from uh, Slick Rick. But in general, when you made that decision, how hard was that? And now it, it's, it seems like something that happens and people don't even think about it. But at the time, I remember being like, wow. He's going to go overseas and play and not come back. That's good news for Carolina fans. Yeah, well, yeah. So you're welcome, Chapel Hill. No, (laughs) uh, I think a big part of it was after the season was over, uh, I think we lost on a Saturday. We had practice on Monday. Mm. (laughs) It was like, what are we doing? Uh, But uh, long story short, uh, after my freshman year, I went over and played in the European Championships. And I led the European Championships by like a in scoring by a sizable margin. Well, I had people calling the entire year, my sophomore year. Uh, after that practice, that following Monday, I did my best to, you know, communicate with the staff. After that practice, I didn't hear from anybody for three weeks. And mm. that following Wednesday, I kind of had to make a decision because Eurocamp was coming up. Well, I was like, I, I called a couple of the assistant coaches. Uh, I'm on vacation. I'll be back in a week and a half or a week or whatever. I was like, okay, I, I, this can wait two weeks. Not a huge deal. Never heard from anybody. So mm-hmm. basically, I, I just walked in and I said, hey, guys, like, you know, I had the the backing from my parents. I, I was in a very fortunate position to where I could go over and kind of risk it. Right. And uh, I was I've always been told, hey, man, just go for it. And it, whatever you want to do, just go for it. And it was an unorthodox way of doing it. Brandon Jennings did it the year before, but he was at a high school playing in Rome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I signed in Italy. I had a contract in Italy. I thought I was going to play the point guard. I was going to Steve Currit and then try to come back and play alongside a superstar. Uh, I went over there and got lost. The first job I had, <laughs> first job I had, I never got paid. I was there for two months. I never got paid. They handed me a fake bank receipt. I go into the bank, try to get my money before we go home because they cut the whole team because they didn't want to pay the full salary of everybody. They cut <laughs> the whole team. And I go into the bank and the teller just looks at me. They're like, what is this? And they brought me out back. I was like, I'm just trying to get my money and go home, man. I was mm-hmm. in Naples at the time. Uh, and I got a lot of, I kind of got in trouble. And then I explained to them, I was like, look, forget, forget the money. Don't worry about it. I'm just going to go. So I, you know, 
Meanwhile, I come home and Clemson's like six and oh or something like that. They're shooting like 31% from three and like I'm the missing piece. <laughs> so, you know, it, sometimes it doesn't go exactly how you plan it. And, but at the same time, after that, I went to Ukraine for a little while, Spain for two years. I met my wife in Sweden, spent three years in Sweden. So uh, it, always worked, it always works out the way it's supposed to. But uh, I look at my professional career as kind of a little bit left on the table. Mm. But, you know, it, it led to this because, you know, I ended up having to leave school or go back to school because Clemson honored my scholarship. I finished school. I stay on with Brad Brunell. I learned a lot about coaching and how to communicate different things. And uh, I got my master's degree out of it, too. So if I didn't do that, I don't get to work for Brad. If I don't work for Brad, I don't get to do radio. And then I don't fall into this. So it all works out for the best. But it was it was a loaded situation. And I, I guess Slick Rick was feeling good after that Panathinaikos win. Uh, yeah. Whenever he said Nick was one of the greatest point guards, but Nick could play. Nick was a really Nick, good player. He could really play. But I, I just remember that year. And like you said, Brandon Jennings as well. That was the first time where, you know, my mind expanded to the idea that one, you know, not everybody can just sit around for four years in college when they have, you know, kind of a, a gap in their life where they can really go for it. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. and that's when it kind of the the it was a watershed moment in my mind in college basketball where you, you could see the overseas path. And if you talk to anyone that played overseas, they have a story talking about where they were promised this amount of money and they were yep. paid this or they were never paid at all. So there's also the, the you know, as much as it was glorified at the time, there is the dark side of it where, like you just said, <laughs> you just get given a receipt and and you're not getting paid for any of your time over there. But um, one last thing I did want to ask about uh, your dad is six foot eight, correct? Your dad is a basketball player. So that did, did you ever get mad at him and say, dad, if I was six foot five, I would have been a splash brother. Yeah, absolutely. And I screwed my kids, too, because my wife's five, five. So like they're done. Like we're 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 all in on soccer right now. Like this nice. doesn't make like we're all look in. at Messi. He's five foot seven. Yeah, yeah exactly. Good. You don't have to be that tall if you're six foot and you're a soccer player. Man, you're good shape. Uh, no, yeah. he he married five six. That was tough. I thought if I could get to six four six five, I could have been. There would have been a couple more O's in the bank account, and they would have been uh, welcomed. But <laughs> outside of that, yeah, I I, I got screwed. I uh, I just love that story. I also love uh, that, you know, you you had such an international background in basketball because it does feel like that's something that it's great to have in your back pocket as the game is getting more global. Even mm -hmm. if you look at the World Cup, every central star is an international guy like Luca's probably the biggest star playing in the tournament. So understanding the global game, the FIBA game and understanding the NBA and the college game, I think that is a... Um, it's a nice asset to have, right? Um, especially as we have to all learn the FIBA game every single time mm -hmm. there's an international event. So let's talk about the college game because that's what I brought you on here for. There's a lot of uh, top 25 rankings that are out there. Shout out to our guy, Dickie V. He just put out his top 25 not too long ago. Kansas is the proverbial number one team in the country. Um, spoiler alert, I think that they're going to be uh, number one on many people's boards. Let's just start there. I want to talk about the Jayhawks. They beat the Bohemian national team without DeAndre Ayton, uh, KJ Adams, and Hunter Dickinson. They're throwing lobs to each other. A lot of people speculating about how good this team can be. What are your thoughts on the Jayhawks and just the fact that we have to remember that Bill Self had a heart attack before the tournament last year, and that's the reason why they weren't really in the mix. You know, I mean, who who knows if he coaches those games? Yeah, it's it's really amazing. And I, I thought it was a no-brainer when Hunter Dickinson decided to go to Kansas. Because yeah, in my mind, Tate, and I think you'll agree with this, there's no better coach in all of college basketball at finding creative ways to get post-touches. I mean, he was doing it with guys that were okay five men and then got him to a national championship just off of layups and a couple missed layups too. And now you add 
Hunter Dickinson to the fold who can score over either shoulder. He turned into a better passer in Michigan throughout his time there. Uh, and he's just a perfect fit. I mean, slide in, plug and play right away. And it's not just him. I mean, I was a big fan of Nicholas Timberlake, a Towson transfer who could really yep. shoot the ball. Good athleticism developed as his time went on under Coach Scary up there. And he's just another guy that's going to space the floor. And in my mind, the most underrated point guard in all of college basketball for the past two or three years has been Dewan Harris. Yep. I mean, the dude just wins. He puts his team in position to succeed consistently. If they're not in the right spot, he knows where everybody is, one through five. A point guard's point guard. Could he shoot it a little better if you're being picky? Yeah, absolutely. But the fact that he always has them in position to score, in, the, in position to run the offense of what they're doing, their mix at Kansas and the puzzle pieces that go alongside what Bill Self really likes to do uh, on both sides of the floor uh, they're downright dangerous. And Kevin McCullough coming back for his 12th year of eligibility helps too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think McCullough is a guy that probably, you know, if you look at the National Player of the Year odds, he might be a dark horse guy that could get in that race and and maybe take over that scoring that Jalen Wilson is leaving behind. So I, I think that Kansas is in their own tier. That's why I started with them because I think that they are number one uh, they're pretty much undisputed. Me, uh, just the way that I like to frame this show, I'm going to put Duke number one because I like to put the pressure on the Blue Devils. I like them to be a preseason <laughs> number one. But yeah. I think we can all agree unequivocally that Kansas is kind of in their own tier. So I just wanted to start there, get people primed for the fact that if Bill Self is, is healthy, if this team is healthy, they should be on their way to potentially another national championship. And if you think about all the what ifs, 2020, we don't have a tournament. They could have easily won it that year. Dotson, Azubuke, they win it in 2022. And then last year, Bill Self doesn't coach in the tournament when they had Grady Dick, Jalen Wilson, and Dewan Harris, a whole lot of talent. So mm -hmm. um, I just think that they're going to be a team that is on a different stratosphere. And the fact that they were competing with the Bahamas national team that went on to qualify for the, for the Olympics... Olympics. I mean, that, that says a lot about where they stand in college basketball. They're almost like the in-between tier of pro and college, you know, kind of like how Alabama football is. I feel like sure. Kansas is in that space. So just wanted to start there with number one. Let's get to number 30 because a lot of people want to do top 25s. I think there's so many good teams. We need 30. And I want to talk about my number 30 team because there's a lot of back and forth about this group. Illinois with Brad Underwood. You talked about, you know, Oliver Purnell. You saw it first and foremost when people, you have good regular seasons, you have a good team. Then people want the expectations in March and then they're not able to reap the rewards. This team has a lot of talent coming back. Dane Danger, TJ Shannon, uh, Coleman Hawkins with that three right there. Illinois should be in the mix to win the Big Ten. And I have them at number 30, but I feel like they have the talent to be top 15, maybe even top 10. Am I crazy to feel that way about this group? Uh, big switchable bunch of guys that can really guard. I think that certainly helps. Who's your point guard? Uh, exactly. We just talked about Dewan Harris, right? Who mm -hmm. I feel like is the best point guard. I'm not sure they really have a natural point guard. Ty Rogers ran some point guard for them on their trip. Uh, whenever I saw Ty Rogers play, that was, he was, he's not a point guard. Now, he can get up and initiate offense for you, which I think Brad Underwood is comfortable with because he's he's a good enough X's and O's guys to get guys in position to score. Terrence Shannon, really good player. He, Terrence Shannon's looking for Terrence Shannon, and I'm okay with that, especially when you're averaging 17 points. Uh, the Big Ten is the Big Ten. They're going to win games they're supposed to. They're going to lose games when they don't have a good day. You have to be wildly consistent in that league to win the Big Ten. Do they have the talent? Yeah, they had the talent last year. It's just, <laughs> it's ebbs and flows with Illinois over the past few seasons. And I don't see any reason that would change given the lack of a real point guard. That's what mm. scares me more than anything. 
Yeah, and they lost Guy Clark to transfer. He's now at Louisville. They lost Epps. He's now at Georgetown. Those were the two guys that were supposed to be the point guard. And mm-hmm. like you said, since they lost uh, Io DeSumo, obviously, to the NBA, they've been trying to look for that initiating guard to get things going for them. But for whatever reason, I'm still buying the hype. I think TJ Shannon having the ball in his hands, you know, you kind of live or die with what he's able to do. Hopefully, the feedback from the NBA is good for him. But I wanted to start with Illinois. At 29, I have Xavier. I, we don't have to get into details there, but I have him there. Sean Miller's always got something up his sleeve. I think that they're going to be a really good basketball team. I think they're going to be contending for the Big East, so I have them there. 28, I have Auburn. I want to talk about Bruce Pearl. You know Bruce Pearl. He was at Tennessee. Um, one of the names that has been coming out uh, of camp, they've kind of cornered the market on these you know, very um, small, athletic, shifty guards that can score. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they have another one in Aiden Holloway. I haven't seen Auburn on many top 25 boards, but I think they have a lot of talent in-house and they bring in a guard like Holloway, who's from Matthews, but played at Prolific Prep, got a lot of talent. How do you feel about the Tigers and uh, do you think they're going to be in contention for the SEC? I think they always are because that home court advantage at Auburn, think about that, Tate, when me and you were in school, like there, there was no home court <laughs> advantage at Auburn. They just happened to play basketball on the side. Right. Now what Bruce has done there is amazing. Uh, Aiden Holloway played on a hell of an AAU team too. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's whenever I had the opportunity to see him. It was him, Robert Dillingham, Gigi Jackson, a couple of other guys, Jaden Young, who's going to Virginia Tech. They were all in their starting five. And Aiden Holloway, uh, he was the alpha of that group. And I know Dillingham, he kind of played off to the side. He prefers to play the off guard. Holloway was that guy. And whenever you watched him play, you're like, man, he'd be really good for a coach who just let him go. But say no more. Bruce Pearl <laughs> enters the door immediately. A- Aiden Holloway, he's already called him special uh, in multiple interviews about him. Uh, he can create his shot whenever he wants. And if you're going to do an early freshman of the year in the SEC, go ahead and bank on that one. I think, it, it, I don't know what the numbers are. I'm not sure if you're sponsored by a gambling website. I feel like everybody is. Everybody if you is. Were, yeah. I would think about it. I would yeah, think FanDuel. About it. Go to FanDuel right now and get those odds. Uh, there you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, but Aiden Holloway, he is, uh, he's a really talented player. And I think more people know Robert Dillingham. Um, just because of the Donda and his name's been out there for a while. But um, I think Holloway is probably the guy that you're thinking of, especially with DJ Wagner, probably going to be taking some stuff away from Dillingham, that opportunity. So great name there. Um, 27, I have Kansas State, Jerome Tang. I think that they're going to have a good year. Tyler Perry is the big name there, right? Comes from North Texas, wins the NIT. That whole team and their coach, um, they they all kind of blow up, but they all go their separate paths and find uh, you know different ways to get in. How do you feel about Jerome Tang? Is he a one hit wonder, or do you like uh, what you're seeing there? And you think Kansas State's a real contender? Well, two freshmen coming in that are in the top seventy of their class, and that's perfect for Tang because he can really coach them up. Some of the stuff they ran last year really really good, and in that league, you have to run good stuff even with excellent players to find ways to get them open. Throw Tyler Perry in there, Arthur Kaluma transfer from Creighton. Big time scoring, three, four, kind of a combo forward that can work really well in the Big 12, can step out, shoot it. He's also a really good fit. And Naquan Tomlin has been as good as advertised. The guy that didn't even play high school basketball goes to JUCO and then goes to Kansas State and averages over 10 points a game. They're still going to be good. Tank's still going to be excellent. And they've turned the Little Apple into a vacation destination for a lot of people who love hoop. Yeah, I love it. I uh, I love that when they beat Kansas, he basically, uh, you know, admonished the fan base and said that we don't celebrate regular season wins like this. We, we have bigger goals. And uh, Kansas State has a history. I mean, we, we, they've done well in March. They, they 
Um, probably could have easily been on their way to a Final Four. I mean, Marquise Noel, I called him America's sweetheart during the NCAA tournament. We all fell in love with him, and he already promised the Raptors he's going to be the best player in franchise history, and Muggsy Bogues signed off on it. So um, I think it's all good things for the Wildcats, for Kansas State and Jerome Tang. I'm excited about that. What did they What did they say? So, so basically, <laughs> he said, don't, don't celebrate regular season wins. That's, that's doing disrespect to Jacob Pullen. Like yeah. you, need to, you need to celebrate these things. What else exactly. is there going on in Manhattan, Kansas? Celebrate the wins. Enjoy the wins. That's what I I'm know. At. I just think that, you know, it's almost like uh, it, it's a good PR move, right? To say that we have bigger aspirations and, uh, you know, but at the end of the day, this is college basketball. And you, when you win that big game, even if it is regular season, let everybody just storm the court and have a great right. time, especially uh, if it is the Kansas Jayhawks who have been traditionally, you know, owning you for quite some time. So I like that. I like that move for Jerome Tang. I'm excited to see what he does in year two. Uh, 26, I have USC. There's a lot of questions about Bronny. We, we, you know, it's not even worth trying to speculate what that looks like, but I think this is a good squad. I'm not sure that they're top 25, but I think they might be top 30. Um, and Andy Infield seemingly feels like he's been there forever. Um, but also not that long at the same time. I don't know how to explain that phenomenon. Um, but Isaiah Collier is, I thought he was the best player in this class uh, that just came into uh, college basketball, just based on what I saw at the Hoop Summit and things like that. So uh, how do you like USC? Do you think they're a real contender in the Pac-12? and Or are they just getting the hype because of the name recognition? I, I think they're probably third. I, I understand the, the, um, the hype around highly touted freshmen. However, yes. like it's, it's an old man's game right now. Right. I and mean, you look around the conference, especially the Pac-12, there's a lot of transfer ins, a lot of fifth-year guys. It's really hard to win with freshmen. And we're going to talk about mm. Kentucky later. That's a lot of really talented freshmen, too. I'm, exci- I'm excited about what Cal's doing. But I digress. Here at USC, <laughs> I-, I liked what they grabbed. I think Bronny James is a very good player. I, I, the ESPN had him at, in a top 20 slot. I would agree with that because he's solid. He's going to set you up. He's 6'4". He's super athletic, can shoot it. Like He's not LeBron. That's not fair. To anybody, if he's able to come back, that's a really good point guard that's averaging eight, nine points a game in his freshman season. And people forget, Tate, that's really freaking good to yeah. be able to do that, be on the floor, be able to guard. He has all those things. Uh, he may only be there for one year. Who knows, especially if he plays. But they brought in a bunch of guys that can really play. Isaiah Collier, like you said, he's a bulldog. I mean, really good player. They grabbed Brandon Gardner after Patino basically threw the entire roster into the recycling <laughs> bin. And it's like... They have talent there. I'm a big fan of Boogie Ellis, but Boogie the Bucket Ellis is what he was mm. down in Atlantis when I saw them in person. Kobe Johnson's a really good defensive player. Chukwu came back, or yeah, Iwu Chukwu. Iwu Chukwu. Mm-hmm. Man, pronunciation. That is, I know. That, that, that's I, a I tough a, name. I need an extra credit point for that one. Yeah, we'll uh, give Iwu you that. Chukwu, uh, after he came back from his little heart situation, played pretty well. Uh, there's guys there. There's guys there. That is a tough top three of that league, though. That's the yeah. thing that scares me. Yeah, definitely. And I also, I mean, you talked about uh, just the the setup there at USC. They do have a lot of eyeballs. They're selling a lot of tickets. They they have like a nice push going on right now in Los Angeles. People are excited about USC basketball. I mean, hopefully we do get to see Bronny, but even if not, we do have a lot of talent in that team. So I got them at 26. I got Alabama at 25. Don't want to talk about them really. Nate Oates, I give them the benefit of the doubt. I know they're going to bring in talent. Brandon Miller obviously gets drafted number two. So we, we know where we stand there. 
Um, 24 FAU. This is the fascinating team to me because when you do the way too early rankings, I mean, they're at number six on some of these boards. They're at number 12 on some of these boards. I do think they're a top 25 team. I like what they brought back. But Terrence, I keep coming back to the fact that they should have lost to Memphis. Um, And Penny Hardaway has been yelling that from the rooftops. But uh, (laughs) if the ball bounces a different way, we don't get this magical Final Four run. And do we have the same outlook on this team? How do you feel about FAU bringing everybody back? Uh, Here's here's the thing. Michael Forrest is the only guy they lose. He averaged a little over eight points a game. He was their point guard. He was their floor spacer. But all of that being said, this the NCAA tournament run was more so a validation of what they'd done all season as opposed to some kind of flash in the pan. Like, this mm-hmm. is a team that's been an actual, excellent defensive team. John L. Davis is a dude. Like, he is really, really good. He's physical. He's long arm. Like, he's a triple double waiting, yeah, waiting to happen every day. I mean, uh, Vladislav Golden, that's a guy who transferred from what was it, Texas Tech, right? Like, yep. There's high major talent on that team, and I consider it a minor miracle that uh, Dusty May was able to keep on, hang on to all those guys. But I think it has more to do with I'm a believer simply because they did it all year. This wasn't just a team getting hot. They stuck to what they did, and I think that's where uh, the difference lies with me as far as being a well, – what do you have them, 24? Yeah. I, I'm going top 15. I'm going top 15 because they, they're going to take some lumps in the American Conference. I like it. And I, I just feel like in my mind, uh, Memphis is going to be a tough team for them in that conference. I think Memphis is going to be uh, someone to deal with. But I also I have FAU rated the highest out of anyone in their conference. So it's kind of a contradictory thing there a little bit. But, you know, like I said, this is the way too early preseason rankings or the too early. We're trying to figure out and sift through it. Uh, number 23, I, you talked about believing. I think that a lot of people are believing the hype, and uh, that is Rick Patino and St. John's. Like you said, he stripped down this roster. He kept Joel Soriano. Um, that's his one guy. He said, you're the captain of the team. Everybody else I'm bringing in from the outside. He's got two freshmen I find fascinating. And Simeon Wilcher, who was a Carolina commit that goes there. Brady Dunlap, who got you know offers from Duke, Carolina, all these different people out here from Harvard-Westlake. So he's got two freshmen I really like. He brought in some talent in the transfer portal. Do you believe the hype that St. John's is going to be back in the fold here? I'm a buyer for for no other reason than Rick Patino. Ricky P Same. is on the sideline. I right. think, and, and I can't wait to see an all-white suit Ricky P on the sideline of Madison Square <laughs> right. Garden. That's going to fire me all the way up. Brady Dunlap's got a little Luke Hancock in him, probably mm-hmm. a little bit more athletic than Luke, and Luke might fight me if he hears me, but <laughs> it, it, he uh, he can really shoot the basketball. They've got guys. Dennis Jenkins, I, I had him uh, for a game I did, Siena against Iona. He was really talented, extremely explosive. He's done it for a long time. Naheem Alinea was a good player at UConn, came off the bench. They got guys that can really do what Rick likes to do, get up and pressure, play up tempo, find spots in the open floor. And uh, Zuby Ejiofor, who was at Kansas, he just got stuck behind guys that were really, really good. Mm -hmm. Uh, It wasn't that he couldn't play. It just got stuck. Uh, Simeon Wilcher, I like him better for Ricky P than I do Hubert Davis. I thought he had some Caleb Love in him to where like, hey, man, I know why I'm here and everybody else is just going to have to live with it kind of deal like <laughs> right. Live with the results. there to get a bucket yeah. i felt like that's what caleb love was like you, mm-hmm. you you guys know why i'm here like you're not going to change me this is what i'm going to do so i feel like if he's going to go somewhere rick rick patino is probably the right way to go i'm a buyer love the team and if anybody can kind of mold them together quickly i think rick can 
Yeah, I do too. And I do think that uh, the way that he's kind of built that schedule out is smart. They got some games in Barclays. They got some games in MSG. They got some smaller games early in the year in Queens to kind of fix some things in a small environment. So, you know, Rick knows how to work the game. And nowadays when you actually are a good basketball coach, it works wonders in college basketball because um, we don't necessarily have that at the highest level, right? So when you have someone like Rick who has that experience and has seen it all, he can make things happen. So I, I like St. John's as well. I'm excited to get out there and see a game. Uh, we're going to try to go to Queens so I can see. I can. I want to hear Rick Pitino yelling on the sidelines. Um, so I want to go out to Queens to hear it. Um, so got them at 23. Got Villanova, another Big East team at 22. Kyle Neptune, year two. Um, he said Justin Moore was you know 70% last season. So let's see what he looks like this year. I don't want to focus in on them. I want to focus in on number 21. That's St. Mary's. Because I think Aiden Mahaney, the hometown kid, great freshman year, six foot three guard. I think he has the chance to be a dark horse national player of the year candidate. I don't know if he'll get the hype being at a WCC school, but I love St. Mary's. I know I have him at 21. Some people have him higher, as high as 12, I saw. But um, how do you feel about the Gales this year? You know what? Aiden Mahaney's as good as advertised. I think that's the big mm-hmm. thing. And he turned down offers from bigger schools to stay closer to home. And, and why wouldn't you with Randy Bennett, who's done more with less for a long time now. And when I say that, he's went and grabbed guys that nobody really knew about and turned them into really good basketball players. Uh, Patty Mills comes to mind. Patty, uh, I played with at at Eurocamp all those years ago, and Patty didn't even want to throw it in bounds uh, because (laughs) Randy Bennett let him go. He wasn't passing it. He was there to score as well. Uh, Randy Bennett's been doing it for so long, done such a good job, and they just continue to dip into that Australian pool a little bit, dip into uh the international game some uh, you know more and more and more uh it, it's they're going to be good and Randy they're going to do what they do they're going to run good offense they only lose one uh, big piece and I think it was Logan Johnson if my memory serves me correctly who averaged right over 14 points a game uh they're going to do what they do and they're going to be really good at it and Mahaney you, you say national player of the year I I think uh conference player of the year is definitely in the cards national player of the year is going to be tough just because like you said they don't get enough exposure yeah, I just feel like on the West Coast, he somehow, like last year, started building kind of this phenomenon behind him. It almost felt, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but it felt like kind of the Curry stuff early on. Like if you saw Davidson with Curry early, like his freshman, sophomore year, there was a little chatter. And then obviously the 08 run, it was, it was you know, in front of the world. They play against Georgetown. The rest is history. But um, I don't know. Aiden Mahaney gives me some sort of uh, some sort of star power. I don't know what it is, but I like them at 21. I got Texas A&M with Buzz Williams at 20. I think this is an SEC team that is under the radar. They got a lot of talent. Um, and a lot of people aren't talking about my guy, Boots Radford. I love Boots Radford. I think he yeah. comes back and helps this team. What do you see for the Aggies and what do you expect from Buzz Williams? Because you talk about coaches that build up programs. He's one of those guys. Tyrese Boots Radford, he is the uh, guy for Buzz Williams. He's a Buzz Williams guy. He was playing the four position at Virginia Tech at 6'2". <laughs> yes. Like, exactly. what are we talking about here? In the ACC, they were good, and he just produces. He's a JYD, junkyard dog, mm. and he plays well. He's improved as a shooter. Wade Taylor is one of the best point guards in America that nobody talks about. He's, he's a really good player as well. Henry Coleman, former Duke guy, has had some success there at Texas A&M. And typically in year three, that's when Buzz's teams really start to hit their stride. Yep. Uh, this is year four. But last year, they went 15-3 and three in conference. That's pretty good in an SEC that's chock full of talent. Now, it's not refined talent in that league. Let's, let's emphasize. It's not necessarily refined talent in that league. It's kind of the opposite of the Big Ten to where like there's a lot of naturally gifted, high-jumping athletes in the SEC. In the Big Ten, you have all these like six, eight, 
dudes that have been in a system for a long time. So you get that level of consistency. I think that was the reason they got blown out whenever they played Penn State, because Penn State was so well oiled at that point of the year that it basically they beat the brakes off of them whenever Texas A&M overcommitted. That all being said, they bring in Jace Carter, Illinois, Chicago transfer, average 16 a game. He's a good player. And Eli Lawrence is another Buzz Williams kind of guy, a transfer from Middle Tennessee State, uh, 6'5", getting real, or no, excuse me, 6'7", and really rebounds, really defends. He just keeps finding system guys for what he likes to do. And uh, Texas A&M should love having Buzz Williams on the sideline. He is one of the best coaches in the game, and I think he's one of the names that people, when they're doing those lists of good coaches, especially in-game basketball coaches, Buzz Williams is one of those guys. So I think Texas A&M is going to be really good. I looked at the uh, the title odds, the top 25 title odds. They're 20th on the board, according to Vegas as well. So they believe in the Aggies. So I thought that was a little interesting. Um, number side, 19, note, it, side note yeah, about please. Buzz. When I was on staff at Clemson, we beat the brakes off of Virginia Tech. I, I mm-hmm. think we beat him by 15, 20 points. And you know how it gets sloppy on defense at the end of the game? Like it's the last 30 seconds of the game and guys are just passing it back and forth. They're getting beat by 20 points and guys are still sprinting to the helpline. And I'm not talking like casually jogging. Full sprint, last 30 seconds, down 15 on the road, game's over. And like there was no cutoff. Like mm-hmm. to me, like that told me a lot about what Buzz's program is, and I know that's good. I know I get you off sidetrack, and I feel like we got to hurry through this. But like he was so like his guys were really, really disciplined. They played hard the entire time, even when they were getting drilled. That's why I have a lot of respect for him. And if you talk to anyone about Buzz, they would say that he'd be great coaching at Army or Navy or any of these military academies. You know what I mean? That's kind of what he's built for. That's why I think Texas A&M is perfect because it's not an it's not a real military academy, but they operate as if it is. You know what I mean? It's kind yeah. of it's the ideal place for him to be for what he's trying to institute and that um you know that craft of of creating like dedicated people who are going to go 110 percent 24 seven. That yep. is the place to do it. So Buzz is in a perfect spot. I, uh, I'm all in there. So I like that. Number 19, I have my North Carolina Tar Heels. We don't have to talk too much about this. I do have them in the top 30. I, um, I, I did last year. I, I bought into the hype just because of how North Carolina basketball history has worked. You know, you lose in the title game in 81, you win in 82, um, you know, 08, you get blown out by Kansas in the final four, you win in 09, you lose on a Chris Jenkins shot in 16, you win in 17. So I thought it was the classic yin and yang. You come back, you get redemption, you move on with your life. It was the opposite, um, yep. and you know this watching ACC basketball. They missed the NCAA tournament. You can quabble about quad rankings and all that sort of stuff, but at the end of the day, they were not a tournament team. Nope. Um, this year, they brought in Cormac Ryan. They bring in Harrison Ingram. They bring in Jalen Withers. They're trying to find leadership. It sounds like Cormac Ryan is the leader of the team. I don't know what that says about Baycott or R.J. Davis, but it does say that he came in and took over uh, a role that needed to be filled, so to speak. Caleb Love leaves. He goes to Arizona. What do we expect uh, year three of Hubert Davis? Because this is a this is a totally different North Carolina program at this point. For what it's worth, I love what they did in the portal. Uh, I, the Caleb Love divorce was needed, I think, for both parties. I mean, Caleb I wasn't happy. Hubert wasn't happy. It just seemed like they were just butting heads the entire season. And I, I actually picked against them going back to the NCAA tournament at the beginning of last year, simply because UCLA kind of did the same thing the year before to where mm-hmm. it's like, man, they had this final four run this year. They're going to be great. And it's just so much expectation and pressure. And then their problems, the first three games of the season were their problems in the middle of the season prior. So it was mm-hmm. like nothing really improved. And I, I just don't think it was a good mix of guys. Now this season, I'm going the other direction. I, I really like this Carolina team. Elliot Cadeau is the best passer in this freshman class. 
point mm-hmm. blank, period. And I've known about Elliot for a long time. Like I said earlier, my wife's Swedish, my best friend in, in basketball. Uh, he's a Swedish reporter. I call him the Swedish Skip Bayless. His name's Nick Bryant. <laughs> he's been raving about Elliot since he was like 12 or whatever. Uh, and I got to see him. I was like, man, he's small. And within five minutes, he controlled everything that was on the floor. Uh, I think he's a perfect combo beside RJ, who's a point guard, but he's more of a score first. I'm going to look for mine first. And then if help comes over, then I'll pass it. Elliot's going to facilitate things and make things work around him. Uh, Cormac Ryan's a floor spacer. He's underrated off the bounce, too, because that dude, he's got a little wiggle. Like, I, I'm a Cormac Ryan fan, struggled with health early in his career, but sometimes you, you alluded to the leadership part with Baycott. This is Baycott's fifth year, right? And Chapel Hill. Like sometimes guys get a little, I don't it, it's kind of a monotonous relationship with the same place for a long time. You've heard the same voices for some. You're you a little complacent, that. right? Yeah. And, and complacent, that's a good word for their attitude towards the offseason, but not necessarily his attitude towards Carolina. So I want to make sure I frame that right before of course, people yeah. come with pitchforks and stand outside my front but door. But you've done the two you've done the two mile Dean Smith run now five times. You've done all this, you know, off season like team building stuff. You know, you've kind of done you've gone through the motion. So you're just not all the way. Like it isn't brand new. There's not butterflies in your yep. stomach. There's not that anxiety. It's just a little bit different, which is fine. That happens with everybody that's been around that long. Yeah, that's right. And Harrison Ingram dude, goes alongside. He's a junkyard dog. I think he's better than Leaky Black offensively. Uh, mm-hmm. He still has that same kind of competitive drive. Not the defender, but better offensively. And I think that's going to help open things up for Cadeau and Davis. Uh, I, I'm buying it. I like this team. I think Jalen Washington, uh, after a year, is going to be a little bit better. He loves a pull-up jump shot. You want to see him do a little bit more, but uh, he sure is talented. I, I think this team fits better. Uh, than last season's team. And they're going to be able to run around and play off of those two alphas in Davis and Baycott. And now you have guys that specialize in other facets of the game that's really going to help them. That are not trying to take away from what those two guys are doing. I mean, the whole problem with that team in general was Caleb is an NBA prototypical guard getting advice from NBA guys saying you should be the point guard. You should you should be the main ball handler. And you got R.J. Davis, who's actually the point guard. And now you got two guys fighting for the same position. That's why I hope Cadeau is able to find his footing. And I hope hopefully it's one of those things where he can learn under R.J., RJ can play off the ball. You can slide Cormac down to the three if you want to go small ball. Mm-hmm. Um, Harrison Ingram at the four if that's something that they end up doing. I like Jalen Washington at the four as well if you want to go big next to Baycott. Um, I think that little baseline mid-range game that he has will help space the floor and not take up Baycott space. I mean, the big thing, and and I said it last year when they came in when I went to, you know, early on in the season, if Baycott's in shape and he's healthy and he's engaged, they can be really good. It just depends if that's the case. So, I mean, they're a team where you could see them making it to the second weekend and being a real, you know, tournament team that contends, or you could see them all kind of flaming out. I don't know which way it's going to go, but it's year three of Hubert Davis. A lot of expectations, a lot of A lot to learn about Hubert this year. A lot yes. to learn. Because, right. because the first two years, he was kind of saddled with Caleb. And, like, he's like, well, he's our most talented player. And he was your most talented player. But, like... He, he also held back some others to allude to what you're saying, too. I, I think we learned a lot about him, and I think we learned a lot about Kyle Neptune, too, because now both guys have a lot of talent. It's, you got to turn over that talent into wins, and we'll see if they're able to do that. And they got, quote-unquote, their guys. I mean, Caleb yeah. Love comes into the Dean Dome, and he you know is shaking Roy Williams' hands, walking out through the tunnel. I mean, he's Roy is the guy who really believed in Caleb, and obviously seeing what he did to Coach K and Duke and all that sort of stuff, it came to fruition at one point, but then we saw the other side of the coin last year. So... A lot, a lot of things to be figured out there, but I got them at 19. 
uh, a team and a program that is very similar to North Carolina just because of the, the, the similar talent that they bring in. Texas, um, I have them at 18. I'm excited to see what Rodney Terry can do when he has full reins uh, with this program. They brought in a lot of talent. Max Acemas is probably the biggest name in the portal. Um, in general, how do you feel about this Texas group? And they also bring in a guy from uh, Virginia that they think can help with rim protection um, in Shedrick. So that they, they have some good pieces that they brought in in the portal. Yeah, you know what? I was, I was a little iffy until you really start to dive into it. You, they have Dylan Mitchell returning. Mm-hmm. Former top 10 player, super athletic, knows what his job is. Tyrese Hunter comes back. He's also terrific. Uh, Dsu finally became what he was towards the back end of last year. He's getting better. And then Brock Cunningham is having the time of his life in Austin. And glue I'm not, guy. He, hey, man, you need a glue guy like that, especially mm-hmm. one that's going to mix it up if somebody's playing really well on the other team. I like that. That's four guys. Then you look at Caden Shedrick, who I thought was, I'm not going to say the word held back. That's not the right word. I don't think he was a good system fit for Virginia's pack line stuff because this is a long, rangy, athletic guy that can contest shots. He's got some offensive game. He can facilitate out on the perimeter. I think he's going to be better served elsewhere. Nothing against Virginia, just not a good fit. Uh, Max Asmus, we know what he can do. And Ithiel Horton started at Delaware, went from Delaware to Pitt, Pitt to UCF, and then ends up at Texas. (laughs) He's a quality shooter. Like, and he's going to be able to space it out. That's seven guys right there. And then you bring in a bunch of other guys. You're like Shindell Weaver, UT Arlington, less than 10 points a game. Uh, Zarek Onyema, uh, seven points at UTEP. Like, you're like, what, what, what's going on? You can't play everybody. Mm-hmm. You got to have these guys that really want to be at Texas. And there's got to be some sort of spark to put on that Longhorns jersey. I think he did that. I think the roles are going to be clearly defined. Uh, I think they'll be fine. I don't know much about Rodney Terry, the head coach, right now. I know he had head coaching experience at previous stops. I don't know much about Rodney Terry right now. I'm excited to learn, though. Yeah, me too. And I also, I, I love what you said. I feel like Serge Jabari Rice was kind of that guy last year that's like, I will sacrifice, but I'm happy to be at Texas. And this yeah. is, I, I'm fired up to be here and I want to be here. And he's also one of those guys that um, just kind of connected that group of, they had a bunch of talented individuals and he was helping um, connect, be the connective tissue for everybody else around him. But that's what I think as far as team building, Texas has been able to do that. The Moody Center is fantastic. Awesome. They're also going to have, uh, Victor Wimbanyama is going to play in the Moody Center three times next year. Um, yeah, in Austin. So, I mean, they, they're they going to have the Spurs connection uh, coming there with some of those young guys, the Jeremy Sohan types, right, that you can bring around your team. I just think Texas has a nice infrastructure there. So I'm not saying that they're going to set the world on fire next year, but you bring in Max Aismas. He's another guy that maybe, you know, if he gets the amount of shots that he is hoping or expecting to get, he could be in that conversation as one of the best players in the country. So Texas is a, is a fascinating team to me on paper. I don't know what it looks like, like you said, in reality, but I know what it looks like on paper. Number 17, Miami. This is my number one program in the ACC right now. Norchad O'Meara comes back. Um, you know, Nigel Pack comes back. They get Matthew Cleveland. I don't think Matthew Cleveland is near what we saw with Jordan Miller. I think they're going to miss ACC Player of the Year and Isaiah Wong. But I think uh, Wuga Poplar is going to have a great year. And he's also a dark horse guy to win ACC Player of the Year. What do you think about Miami and Larinaga and how dangerous are they next year? Because I feel like I might even have them underrated with them at 17. Uh, you took the words out of my mouth with Wuga Papa, mm-hmm. uh, just because 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, really athletic, a terrific shooter, and he showed the ability to create some things for himself uh, when need be. He averaged just under, what was it, nine points a game, but he, he's going to be that next guy that's going to get you know three, four extra shot attempts a game. I think he's going to be fine. They're going to be good. Uh, and the fact that Norchad O'Meara got helped get Miami 
to a Final Four at what is he, 6'7, 240? And he is a beast. You want to talk about a Trevor Booker comparison? We talked about my guys yeah. way back when. There you like, go. Same kind of guy. I mean, undersized, strong as an ox. They're really, really good. Nigel Pack was worth the money. <laughs> I hate the That's a weird thing to say, but it is. He was worth the money. <laughs> and uh, Bensley Joseph was good last year, too, in spot minutes. So they still have guys. Uh, the, the biggest question mark I have is Matthew Cleveland. And he's a great kid, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to temper some of that hype a little bit because I don't know that what he's ever done at Florida State contributed to winning whatsoever. Uh, mm. He takes a lot of tough mid-range twos. He's a poor three-point shooter, and I'm sure that the numbers are going to tell me I'm an idiot right now. However, I've, I've seen it in person way too many times to really fully believe in that. Uh, Jordan Miller was really good because everything went on around him, and he was able to figure that one out. I thought he was undervalued last year, especially in the eyes of a lot of voters. I'm, an older, I'm a voter. I missed. Uh, so it's as good as Isaiah Wong was. Jordan Miller was kind of the fulcrum where he could get it and then guys could make things happen around him. So they're going to miss those two guys, but uh, look for a big year from Wuga and what a name. Wuga Poplar. Oh, incredible. And we saw it in the tournament, right? I mean, when Poplar was called on, whether it be foul trouble or whatever it was, he stepped in and he had memorable minutes. You know what I mean? He made mm -hmm. contributions and you could see it there. And then in the offseason, all you've heard is rave reviews. My, my Miami sources have said that he's going to be a guy that's going to help kind of fill that void of Miller and Wong and uh, take that next step. And I think you're right on with Cleveland. He and Gigi Jackson kind of remind me of each other where they have these physical tools. They're five-star guys. They're supposed to be this. They're supposed to be that. But you're just waiting for them to... They've had highlight moments for sure. I mean, Cleveland hit a game winner against Miami and threw the U down. We, I mean, I remember watching that live when it happened. But I agree, you know, it's not going to be the same like plug and play type situation. But Larry Nega is one of the best coaches in basketball. He can figure it out and uh, kind of piecemeal it together, I think. So Miami's there at 17. I got UCLA at 16. Uh, lost a lot of guys. Jaime Jaquez, obviously, the the face of UCLA basketball. You got guys that are going to step up. Dylan Andrews is a name that you're going to hear a lot. They got a you know a guy that's seven foot three, a day Mara coming in um, that's supposed to contribute at some level. Spanish and, kid, right? Yeah, right. And and I think that um, you know just in general, this is going to be a fun team for Mick Cronin, right? Because you talk about the expectations weighing heavy on UCLA. It, it was a lot of conversation in Westwood about national championship coming off the you know the Johnny Juzang 2021 run and I think that those fans are still trying to be fed that but they can probably have more fun this year with this young group and uh, we're going to get a lot new a lot of new names in Westwood um, that will end up being household names how do you feel about Mick Cronin in this group because it does seem like he's having fun implementing his system with these young guys let me let me say this before I even talk about their European guys which I kind of know and kind of don't know mm -hmm. but I can guess <laughs> I will never I will never doubt Mick Cronin. Mm. I, I think the dude coaches, uh, he came to UCLA and people were like, I, I don't know. He, he's not really a UCLA, flashy, run fast, score a lot of points kind of guy. And he just kind of makes it happen. And guys buy it in because you know why? Winning matters and people love winning uh, everywhere. Not just in Cincinnati where he was prior. <laughs> not just everybody loves winning. So they'll adapt to the way he wants to coach. Uh, he, here's the thing. I was going to bring this up whenever you and I were talking about my career earlier. It's kind of been an inverse reaction with NIL now because we talked about like Nick Calathis, Brandon Jennings, myself. We all went overseas. You get a pay payday. Now these younger players, they can come over here and get paid more than what they're getting on some of these rookie contracts in, <laughs> in uh, Lithuania, a rookie contract mm -hmm. in a France at a pro B level or something like that to where like now these guys are getting paid real money 
They can come over here, get their education. And now you're seeing a lot of these power five schools start to dip in or power, I call it power six because I consider the Big East a high major in basketball. They're dipping into that international pool because those guys are getting paid just as much over here than they are over there. So mm. I think it's going to happen more and more and you're going to see more and more teams uh, really jump into that. UCLA's done it. Kentucky's done it. And now that everybody's getting paid, I think it's we call it a world game. Uh, we're going to see a lot more players from all over the world playing in college basketball. Yeah, quickly. It's happening. I mean, we yeah. always saw it with St. Mary's and Gonzaga, and I feel like Arizona, Tommy Lloyd kind of did the same thing down there. Yep. But now you got UCLA in the mix. Uh, I don't even know how to pronounce his name, but Jan Vade, um, I think is how you pronounce it, the six foot six guy from Spain who, mm -hmm. you know, looks like a point guard. So they're trying to figure out how to replace Tiger Campbell. He's an option. Like I said, Dylan Andrews is going to be great. And I think the real star of this team and it kind of dictates what the ceiling is, is a dim bona. Um, and I think Bona showed signs last year of being a reliable big man for this group. He's got a lot of athleticism, a lot of natural ability. He's just trying to, like you talk about the SEC guys, he's trying to refine yeah. the natural gifts that he has. But if there's anybody that's going to figure out how to refine it, it's going to be Mick Cronin because he's not afraid to motherfuck anybody and tell no, them no what doubt. the deal is. No doubt. So, and, and you listen. Yeah, he, he gets after you. Side note, red face Mick is a wild man. Uh, other side note, <laughs> I thought it would have been a great commercial if they would have showed like an Arizona uh, practice mm. or something like that. And then they had so many foreign kids like it, it, Pele's from Sweden. Uh, Omar is from Mali. Then right. they had a guy from Finland and then they had a guy. And if they would have shown him coaching in all these different languages, like two or three things, that would have been a great commercial. And then it'd be like, this is Arizona basketball or something. Like, right. That would have been cool. I think I think Tommy Lloyd, um, you know, like I want to give him all the flowers and because I do love this team. But it's so funny. Princeton really just it, it, it broke my brain. You know, after I watched that team in Maui and I watched them dominate the Maui Invitational and, you know, and I saw these two bigs and I'm like, how do you stop these two guys? And it's so funny because it's basically what UConn's formula was to go win a championship. But Arizona had a big from Mali, like Sonogo. They had, you know, they had Bala. Like the, everything mm -hmm. kind of matched up on what it was going to be. And then Princeton just beat them in the, the most uh, clinical, fundamental basketball way possible. Uh, which is why I, I still am a little resident. You know, you know why they did it, and it was kind of, it was kind of a problem for Arizona all year. Uh, Evoma was bringing the ball up the floor, mm -hmm. so then you had then you had uh, Balo picking up the ball. You had what the other big guy's name? Brain fart. What's his name? Tubelas. Yeah, Tubelas was having to pick up the ball, and it limited their guards' ability to get up and frustrate other guards and make guys play fast. So because Evoma was bringing the ball up, it completely screwed up everything Arizona wanted to do defensively. And it's so funny, like my boss, Bill Simmons, who doesn't watch college basketball until, you know, late February, March when the tournament's coming around before that game, you know, he's looking at my bracket. He's like, send me your bracket. I sent it to him and he's like, I don't know. I just think Princeton's going to beat Arizona. And I was like, what the <laughs> hell are you talking about? <laughs> like Arizona's one of the best teams in the country. Da, da, da. We're, we're watching that game together. He's like, see, I told you this is a bad match. <laughs> and, and like no, nobody in their right mind is calling that out. But uh, it was it was a funny moment in time. Uh, so, you know, Arizona, we can talk about. But uh, 15 I've Gonzaga, which is also uh, Mark Few, Tommy Lloyd's, uh, you know, right hand guy, was his right hand guy for quite some time, then leaves to go to Arizona. Gonzaga, they bring in Nimhard from Creighton. Um, obviously, they had his brother there before. Now they got Andrew in the fold at point guard. This team, Anton Watson comes back. He's another guy who could win WCC Player of the Year, maybe in the conversation for National Player of the Year. 
Do we think Mark Few, I mean, he's obviously the best coach that hasn't won a championship probably in college basketball, but do we do we see an end in sight where Gonzaga can get over the hump? Because now that Drew Timmy's gone, it just feels like it's almost a reset again, and we're trying to see where they end up, and I got him at 15. The only thing is, is you just need that certain amount of luck to win a national championship. I, I don't think it's entirely fair that we're frowning on his greatness just simply because they haven't won a national championship. I, like, let we, we need to keep few... Uh, that's a Hall of Fame coach, without a right. doubt in my mind. If he does or doesn't win a national championship, it doesn't matter to me. Like He has cemented his status with me. Uh, that all being said, when you talk strictly about their roster, I, I think you're going to get a better, better version of Nolan Hickman with Nembard at the pure point because he's going to be able to play off, be a secondary playmaker instead of being relied on to do so much on the ball. Uh, Steel Venters, uh, <laughs> this guy's a good player. Great and name. He, he reminds me of a guy that played at Gonzaga a few years ago uh, that transferred from Kansas. Same size, same kind of physical profile as Micah Downs, mm. who I ended up playing against in Spain uh, all those years back. But same kind of 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, can really shoot it, athletic enough. Uh, Downs was really athletic. He's not that level of athlete, but he can score it. And then, I, I don't know what it is about these Pacific Northwest guys. Sometimes they just get overlooked and they end up at Idaho and they end up at Eastern Washington and all these different places. And then they grabbed Graham Ike, who was what was a Mountain West player of the year last year. Yep. Like they're, he's Wyoming. not Drew Timmy. He's a different kind of guy, but he is very effective. So they're, they're going to be as good as ever. They're probably going to win their league. And the best possible bracket I've ever seen is that West Coast Conference bracket. I love that. It's like mm. Gonzaga's got to win one game and they're in the finals. And then meanwhile, <laughs> the, the last seed's got to play from Monday to Sunday in order to just get a sniff. I'm just like, what are we doing? What are we doing? It's amazing. It's my yeah. favorite thing about college basketball. It, it shows that they value the regular season. And they right. also, they want to make sure they have the right champion at the end of the day. Uh, ben Gregg is another name I want to throw out there for Gonzaga. I think Ben Gregg, I mean, he played in, what, 30-some games last year. He got a little taste, but he was playing behind Timmy. I think he's a name and a, and a face that uh, if you're watching Gonzaga basketball this year, he's going to jump to the forefront. I think he's going to have a big year from Oregon. Um, and just, you know, like a Zach Collins type big. Got some athleticism to him. Not that big. Not 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 Zach Collins, seven foot one big. But, you know, got some talent. So I like him as well. Um, I got Baylor at 14. I think Scott Drew, self-explanatory. It might be a little bit too high, but I have such a respect for their program. I expect them to be able to just turn things over, even though they lose LJ Cryer. He goes to Houston. We can talk about that later. San Diego State at 13. I just gave them some grace. Uh, I think that they have a talented program. I like some of the additions that they, that they made in the portal. So I um, got them at 13, probably a little too high. Number 12, I have Kentucky. And I want to talk about Kentucky with you. You talked about their youth. Um, Calipari, he was getting uh, railed by the media um, during the offseason about his roster construction. People <laughs> were saying the game has passed him you know, by at this point. And then he makes a lot of late additions. And now we have a situation where he's got a pretty good roster. How do you feel about the Wildcats? I know we talked about their youth, but do we expect them to be able to have a, a top tier type year for Calipari? You know what? For, for all intents and purposes, this roster fits what Cal likes to do for a long time. Uh, his yeah. best teams with John Wall and Eric Bledsoe and the Harrison twins, guys that can create some things at the top of that offense, like that can create a closeout by themselves. He has that kind of player now, whether it's DJ Wagner, whether it's uh, Robert Dillingham. I, I Reed Shepard's an underrated player now. I love Reed Shepard. Like Reed Shepard's a really yeah. good player and he's going to he's going to show <laughs> up in some games where they struggle 
to really get something going. Reed Shepard's going to hit two threes and just kind of open everything up. Like he's and, he's a good player. And Kentucky fans are going to love him. I mean, they're, they're going to go crazy. Like that. That's what the Bluegrass Nation needs, right? That that's what they really want. They want like some connective tissue between like the old Lexington, Kentucky basketball that they know and the modern times, right? I mean, that's the biggest knock on Cal. So I think Reed Shepard is actually a secret weapon. It's a huge secret weapon. He played well up in those global games, and I, I understand the talent wasn't what it. <laughs> is going to be in the SEC. But all of that being said, you still got to show up. You still got to win. You still got to play. Reed Shepard was really good. And and his NIL is going to be hilarious. Oh, it's going to be great. The son of Kentucky. Are you kidding me? He's, mm-hmm. he's Kentucky royalty. I think it's awesome. Uh, he's <laughs> going to be big for them. But I think the good, thank your lucky stars that uh, Antonio Reeves decided to come back because they needed a veteran presence, a guy just to get the ball to where everybody kind of takes a deep breath. I feel like he can be that guy uh, grabbing Trey Mitchell late. The free agency scramble when the Bob Huggins situation happened was uh, something nobody predicted, but Kentucky's the beneficiary. And this uh, Visic, the Croatian kid, was it seven one? Can really yeah. play, and he, right. he showed up in Chicago for the pre-draft workouts. He opened eyes there. He's an inside-out big. Uh, I hope Cal doesn't put him in the dunker spot and tell him to do that because he has so much more to his game. And that's what Cal likes to do with some of his big guys. So that's fine. It's just, I, I think that would be limiting what he can do potentially, right? Uh, but Trey Mitchell, a terrific addition. They shot a lot more threes at the Global Games. Hopefully that continues because that'll space the floor out more for Dillingham and Wagner. That'll be good. But uh, Kentucky's interesting. I like that he's gone back to the elite freshman because I feel like the power is going to go back to the freshman here over the next two years whenever, you know, basically these COVID seniors get out of the way. Power is going to go back to the freshman. He can go back to recruiting what he's comfortable with and getting the most talented players on the floor uh, despite being a little young and a little physically underdeveloped. Yeah, and I think it's it's where he feels most comfortable. It did feel like he was playing a different game than he wanted to play recruiting wise. And uh, he was kind of in between two different worlds of, do I bring in this guy? Uh, Does it make sense? And, you know, even with Hunter Dickinson, it just, you know, I know that they were trying to talk themselves into it, but they needed to to get in a situation where they felt young. They felt like they had, you know, some spark to them. It didn't feel like it was, uh, I mean, we all know Oscar Sheboy is a great player, but at a certain point, it just felt like th- th- this is over with. It just needs to end. The, the, you know, the, let's just move on. Kind of like Kofi Coburn in Illinois. It just yeah. had to end. You know what I mean? He's a great player individually, but it just didn't make sense anymore. So I'm glad for Cal that he moved on. I think they're going to have a good year. I'm interested to see how Dillingham fits into the fold. He feels like one of those guys that if he's not getting the playing time, um, there's going to be overtime elite to the world and maybe even other programs trying to recruit him off their bench. And that's the world that we live in today. So maybe even Bruce Pearl says, you can come over here to yeah. Auburn and I'll give you the ball and I'll let you do what you want to do when Holloway leaves. So uh, Kentucky's fascinating. I have Arizona at 11. Um, just one note on Arizona, Caleb Love. I mean, he basically comes in and replaces Kirk Creesa. Is that an upgrade? Um, and how do you feel about Boswell and Bradley and Caleb Love in that backcourt? I, I think it's an upgrade for both parties. One, because I, I feel like Caleb Love needed a stronger voice uh, to be like, hey, man, that's a shit shot. Yeah. Come sit over here beside me. Like Steve uh, Robinson, right? I mean, Steve Robinson is perfect. I mean, former Roy assistant, head coach mm-hmm. of Florida State, and uh, one of those guys that's not afraid to tell you the truth, right? That's yeah, what you and need Tommy sometimes. Lloyd will do it, too. Yeah, Tommy right. Lowe sit you down. And, and here's the thing, too, about that Arizona squad. He's got guys behind him that can be like, hey, dude, like, I'll just play this. I'll just play him. Like, Jaden Bradley <laughs> was the number one rated point guard in the class. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kylan Boswell is a really good player. He was the number, number one rated point guard in his class. So, like, yeah, you can came play in two at 17. Caleb Love doesn't want to listen to hell with it. So, like, that's, I think 
But here's the thing. When you lock a guy into his role, I can't remember which coach said this. It's almost like it's freeing to a point to where it's like, all right, I know what I can do. I know what I can't do. Like, it's going to make it easier for me to be a more effective player. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think you're going to be able to do that more with Caleb Love at Arizona because you got so much firepower behind him if you do decide to start him. Mm. And it's not going to be a situation where he can go back and say, I'm the best player on your team and yeah. I can take whatever shot I want to take because nobody else can even get a shot. So I think uh, I think that'll be good. I like their roster. I hope Tommy Lloyd can get over the hump in March. I think that is kind of the big question mark. Um, both years that he's been there. He broke Bill Guthridge's record for wins in his first two seasons on the job, um, which is fascinating. And it's yep. also kind of crazy to think that you are the second guy at Gonzaga. You get a head coaching job, but it's at a more traditional blue blood power yeah. at Arizona, right? So that it's uh, the, the whole Tommy Lloyd story is kind of incredible in general. So I, I'm, I'm pulling for him. I'm excited to see what it looks like in year three. Um, number 10, we'll rattle through the top 10 here. Creighton, they bring back uh, Trey Alexander. They bring back Baylor Shireman. They bring back Ryan Kalkbrenner. They're a team that was so close to getting to their first Final Four in program history. I really like this group. They're going to miss Nimhard, but I think Trey Alexander is going to have the ball in his hands. I think Baylor Shireman is going to initiate offense a little bit more. So I think this team is going to be really good, and I got them in the top 10 at number 10. Yeah, and Steven Ashworth might be the best shooter in college basketball. He there shot like go. 44% from, from three last year. He's one of the better ones. Uh, and like you said, they have so many different guys that can initiate offense off a rebound or something like that. You don't necessarily need a pure point. Having Nimbard's great, but I think having four guys that can handle it helps. Mm, yeah, I think they're a fun team. So I, I like the Blue Jays there at number 10. I got Tennessee at number nine. Rick Barnes, he brings back uh, Josiah Jordan-James and, uh, you know, just uh, Zakai Ziegler. Some of these names that we've known in Tennessee, but they're just a solid squad and a team that's going to be a tough out for anybody. Uh, we saw them in the tournament last year. They knock out Duke. They have a tough game against the Louisiana Kate, Raging Cajuns in the first round, but I thought that was actually a good test for them. So Tennessee, I like. I think he got over some demons by beating Duke in March. So I like Rick Barnes there at number nine. Number eight, I got Marquette and Shaka Smart. Do we expect Shaka Smart and this Marquette team to run it back like they did last year? They're going to be very good. And having Tyler, Tyler Kulik Kulik. certainly helps. They only yep. lost one major guy in Omax Prosper. What he did was be the pest defensively. They have several athletes that have that kind of potential. I think they'll be fine. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Number seven, we have Must Bus, Arkansas. Um, they had, I think, 80 players try to transfer there. So I don't even know who's on this roster. They might even have 80 guys on the roster. The one name that I do know is Trevon Brazil. He got hurt last year, tore his ACL. I saw him in Maui. I think he is going to be a force for this team if he comes back 100%. But what do you see from Must Bus, and how do you feel about this Arkansas team? Uh, so Some proven guys, but proven guys on bad teams outside of mm. Tremont Mark, who averaged 10 points a game at Houston. You look at Khalif Battle, his coach got fired, but he averaged 18 points a game. Jeremiah Davenport. <laughs> was a lightning rod kind of guy at Cincinnati. L. Ellis was really good on a really bad Louisville team. Chandler Lawson never really got his foot feet wet, but it's a safe bet to put Musbus and company in the top 15. Uh, two really good freshmen on that team, though. Uh, Layden Blocker, top 35 point guard in the class, really talented. Bayfall, a seven-foot, super Bayfall, athletic, yep. high upside big. You're not going to see his best basketball at Arkansas. It's going to be at the professional level, but there's talent. How he molds them together, I don't see any reason why Moss and company aren't in the second weekend once again. Yeah, I think uh, Vegas really likes Arkansas this year as a, as a national championship type team. So that's a team to keep an eye on. I have them at number seven. Number six, I have a team year 29 of Tom Izzo, which is crazy to say. They are the last Big Ten team proper 
to win a national championship, uh, you know, with Mateen Cleaves and the Flintstones back in 2000. They have A.J. Hogard, who looked great at Chris Paul's camp, heard rave reviews about how he looks. I think they have a lot of talent um, in that program right now. Is this the year that the Big Ten and more specifically Tom Izzo can get back and win a championship? They are a, an anti-Big Ten, Big Ten team. Like, their mm -hmm. best players are their backcourt. Their insides, like, I would, we're just going to have a couple of beasts that block shots. Uh, they right. did bring in a hell of a recruiting class beside those old guards. Um, the big kid, Xavier Booker, is really, really talented. Jeremy Fears is, is one of the better point guards in that class. He's going to be at Michigan State probably four years. They're going to love him there. It just might take him time to get on the floor. Then they might have brought in the best athlete in all of college basketball in Cohen Carr, who, if you go on YouTube, Tate, it's it's mm. it's comical some of the things he does. So uh, <laughs> they have talent. They're old. They have guards that can really play. Old guards win. Michigan State will win a lot of games. It could be in Phoenix, I think. Yeah, I like uh, I like Michigan State a lot as a Final Four team. If you're doing some futures bets there, uh, I think that is a team to buy hype into. And I think that Purdue is going to be the team in the Big Ten that I think carries the banner all year, kind of similar to what they did last year. But when it comes down to March. I like Izzo. January, February, Izzo. We know how it goes. Number five, I have Houston, Kelvin Sampson. Um, they bring in LJ Cryer. They're trying to, uh, you know, kind of just build back this group that ended up leaving with Sasser. Sasser is just like a rock. And I, I heard Trey Weaver use that uh, when they was talking about him. But he's just a guy you can rely on. They lose Jarris Walker, who's a lottery pick. So they lose some talent, but they also bring in some talent. And I just trust that, uh, you know, Houston's going to be there at the end of the day. And I like Sampson a lot. So right there, I got them at five. Purdue, I have at number four. Zach Eady playing for Team Canada. Um, comes off a National Player of the Year, wins the Wooden Award. His whole team comes out to celebrate his Wooden Award after losing to a 16 seed. How do we parse through Purdue and what do we expect them? I have them number four on the board, but uh, you know I, I can talk myself either way with them. Uh, still not very athletic. Still not very <laughs> right. athletic. Backcourt is the same, yeah. Yeah, backcourt's the same. Now, they are older and they're very good. I want to say that Braden Smith had like a 0 0.11 assist game on their European trip. Yeah, uh, They're very good. It's just... I felt like the last two seasons, they just ran into a buzzsaw with Fairleigh Dickinson because what happens is if you set a down screen uh, and then whoever Zach Eady is the guy screening, you're going to get a shot somewhere because he can't come that far out because he's not fast enough to get back and recover. So there are obvious disadvantages to playing these smaller schools, St. Peter's and Fairleigh Dickinson, both. It just, it's a nightmare scenario. So all depends on seating. If seating's right, Purdue can get all the way to the final four. If it's not right uh, and they face teams that'll pressure and really get up underneath some of these guards, it's going to be tough. And Purdue fans are trying to tell me that Miles Colvin's going to up the athleticism by everything. Like, that's a freshman in the Big Ten. They don't play all that much. So mm -hmm. that worries me. Not athletic. They still have Zach Eady. They'll be 31-1 and one going into the tournament or whatever it is. And they'll be great. And it's just when they play those smaller teams, it can be a bit of a hassle. Especially when those teams, I mean, unfortunately for them, it's like there, there's a little bit of eye test with this Purdue team where if you are a guy that's playing on, you know, FDU, for example, and you look across and you see two freshmen and Lawyer and Smith and you say, these are the, these, this is my matchup, right? And you just, <laughs> you, you boil it down to that. That's why I think, honestly, um, obviously Zach Eady won't be there, but I think the junior senior years of Smith and Lawyer is the time where you can kind of buy into Purdue making a real run in March. And maybe they're a year ahead of schedule and they do it this year because they have Edie. But I, I think that's what I do with this Purdue team. Again, they're top four, so I think they have a lot of talent, but I'm still worried about March. UConn at number three, the defending national champs. Um, Klingon is already getting national player of the year buzz. I like the class that they brought in. I like Castle a lot. I think he's a really good player, has superstar potential. Kind of reminds me of like a Quentin Grimes type. And then Tristan Newton, 
Um, I just think he's underrated. You talked about, you know, Dewan Harris at Kansas. I think Tristan Newton is in that same camp of like underrated point guards and the size of this kid. The fact that he's six foot six, six foot seven, um, he's going to be a mismatch for any other point guard that he goes up against. So I think UConn at number three, I think they're going to have a really good year. And you saw how much it helped in the national championship game. Like he played amazing. I, I think the majority of last season, he was figuring out how to be a point guard as well. Just because at East Carolina, he was like this do it all score more so mm-hmm. than he was a pure point guard. And then, uh, you know, Hurley did a lot of favors for him by creating some offense for other guys. They run a ton of staggers for Jordan Hawkins. They ran a lot of post ups to where like Newton just had to get up there and initiate and then he could turn <laughs> back into a two guard. You yep. saw his incremental development happen as the season went on and it all culminated in the national championship where he played his best game of the season. I think they're really good. I think one of the most underrated transfer portal additions in the entire country's camp spits are coming over from Rutgers. Uh, mm. the, this is a guy that uh, he, he's tough as nails. He hits big shots and he he competes like hell. Uh, Rutgers people were really upset that he was leaving. He's not Jordan Hawkins, but he but he is a competitor. People at UConn will love him. Uh, really good player. That freshman class, though, they try to say they're the Fad Five. That there's talent there. I'm not sure they're the Fad Five. There's no Chris yeah. Webbers. <laughs> I don't think they're the Fab Five either, but I think that they're just excited to be back in the uh, the top yep. tier conversation, and also you know in contention for guys like Cooper Flag, right? That's what UConn basketball fans wanted. They wanted to be back in the mix on you know these top level guys, and then also bring in four star, five star kids. And shout out to Dan Hurley because uh, I you know I had my question marks early on when I saw him take a charge on the sideline as a head coach. I was very <laughs> concerned, but um you know that that insane uh, attitude. Uh, apparently, he started painting. And he was able to kind of like master it and funnel it in the right direction. So shout out to Dan Hurley. Number three on the board is UConn. Number one, I already told you, was Kansas. Number two, the Duke Blue Devils. John Shire, year two. Filipowski comes back. They obviously have a top class coming in. I like Jared McCain a lot. I watched him play in high school out here in Los Angeles. What do you see for this team? And uh, do you expect Duke to be in that conversation as the number one team in the country? Yeah, depending on how Flip plays with his hips. I mean, he's mm. had hip surgery a couple of times. He looks like he's coming along nicely. I, th- the only thing that scares me this year as compared to last year is where's that rim protection coming from? Derek Lively, right. his emergence coincided with Duke really taking off in, at the end of January and February because he turned into this defensive savant that they didn't have those first three or four months. And then he kind of got going, got comfortable, was able to show off some different things, a lob threat. Like, it, they don't have that. Now, all of that being said, there's still a lot of talent on that team, especially some of the new guys. Jared McCain, really talented player. They're hoping that Sean Stewart can be this rim protector, but he's only about 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, right. Now, he's he trampolines off the floor. Like, absolutely elite athlete. Do I think he's going to be able to be that guy? Not at the same level as Derek Lively, but uh, also uh, to kind of counter what I'm saying, and I'm not being down on Duke. I just think that's an obvious hole. I I think Tyrese Proctor is going to be in the running for National Player of the Year. Uh, Some of the Mm. things he was doing towards the back uh, half of the season, even in the NCAA tournament, were laughable. Uh, He is stupid talented. He was supposed to be a senior in high school last year, and he was still able to reel off some of those scoring uh, runs on his own. Uh, Duke's going to be really good. I worry defensively what they're going to do as far as rim protection is concerned because Duke loves to get out and pressure those passing lanes. But you can only do that if you have somebody cleaning up everything behind you. That's what all the great Duke teams always had. Uh, Don't necessarily have that this year, but offensively they're going to be really talented. 
and they have kind of their formula where they have like a senior laden guard, like a Quinn Cook, and then they mm-hmm. have like their young guards, you know what I mean? Like what they had in 2015 with Tyus Jones. And I think with Jeremy Roach this year, you got Proctor, you got McCain. Um, I think that they the backcourt seems like it's all settled. And if you could get Filipowski to play at an ACC player of the year level, you're talking about, you know, you, you're, you're playing with house money a little bit and you got a lot of talent behind those guys. So I think Duke's going to be really good. I personally think Miami's going to win the ACC, but that doesn't mean that Duke's not going to win the national championship. And we know how that goes with mm-hmm. both Duke and North Carolina um, as far as their ability to be able to, even if they're second, third in the league, they can turn it on. Um, one last thing before I let you go, I appreciate you running through those 30 teams. I know that's a lot to throw at you, but again, it's the offseason. We're just trying to piece the puzzle together. Um, one, I want to ask you about Hunter Tyson. I'm in yeah. love with Hunter Tyson. I loved him at Clemson. I, I thought that he was going to be a guy that was going to get looks at the NBA. Then you look at the mock boards during the season. He's nowhere to be found. The draft comes around. I start talking to front offices. They're like, who's this kid at Clemson? Who's this guard at Clemson? I really like his game. What, his name's Tyson. And, you know, he ends up getting drafted. He goes to the defending champs, the Nuggets. What do you expect to see from Hunter Tyson? And uh, how, how excited were you when you saw he got drafted? Uh, first of all, I was thrilled for him. I was thrilled for the kid himself. His family's terrific. He was actually being recruited to Clemson whenever I was a GA and I was helping out and getting my degree, uh, just meeting his family. And he improved every single year in literally every stat category. And he finally mm-hmm. found his voice at the beginning of December of that fifth year. I would say that nobody in all of college basketball last year benefited more from that fifth year of eligibility than Hunter Tyson. Because in my opinion, like if he doesn't, get this extra year, he's playing in Belgium somewhere for like right. 45 grand. And he and now he's the highest paid second round pick in the NBA <laughs> for this year. Like mm-hmm. it, it's insane. A great kid. What they're getting with him, big a big shooter with size and that seems like what everybody wants to have. Uh, he's not the most fleet of foot uh, laterally, but he's just so smart. And he, he just continued, he works his nuts off. And he mm. came in as, you know, Big six eight, six seven, six eight white guys get pigeonholed as shooters. He was not a very good shooter when he came in. He he was somebody. He was a really good out of area rebounder, and he was a dunker. And he worked and worked and worked and shot forty something percent from three, and uh, had some massive games uh, there at the summer league. And the way the CBA is going to go with the NBA, I, I like what Denver's doing, getting some of these older college guys to where they feel like they could not be superstars, but produce for a long time. I think Hunter Tyson fits that mold. Absolutely. And uh, I really like what Denver did in the draft. And I went to summer league and there was a lot of people that were turning their heads and asking me who this guy from Clemson was. And Hunter Tyson, he was kind of the talk of the town for a little bit out there in Las Vegas. So shout out to him. One last thing. uh, This is, I'm just keeping it Clemson Tigers before I let you go. PJ Hall. I watched all the combine scrimmages. I, I I said to one of my friends who was a Clemson guy, I said, he reminds me of like Tyler Hansborough light or something, just his ability to be in the right place at the right time and get easy buckets. He averaged 15 his sophomore year, averaged 15 his junior year. He comes back for his senior year. Brad Brunel, I like this team that they have coming back. And I think PJ Hall is a guy who will be in the ACC player of the year conversation. How excited are, there, are Clemson fans for him to come back and for this team this year? Well, people are cautiously optimistic. And the reason I say that is because they haven't really sunk their teeth into how good the, fo- the, the basketball team is going to be because football's right around the corner. Right, of course. Uh, I, I talked to an ACC assistant at uh, Peach Jam. He says, I think Clemson can win the regular season. Me too. So, like that, That's kind of the crazy thing about it. Chase Hunter is probably the most underrated guard in the entire conference. Might be one of the most underrated guards in the entire country. Uh, Clemson's going to be really good. There's two teams that, that are going to spend some time at least close to the top 25. I think Clemson's one of them. And what 
Steve Forbes has done at Wake Forest. That's another team that's going to, they're going to win some games. And I think this might be the year that Wake Forest finally gets over the hump and gets in. But uh, PJ, uh, really good player, more skilled than Tyler. Tyler had this unique ability to be great despite not having the most aesthetically pleasing game. Right. That little turnaround hook. It just like, he just like threw the ball in the basket. It was very old school. It was un- like, it was almost like he fastballed it in and like PJ <laughs> right. can step, PJ can step out and shoot it. That's one yeah. of his best features. He, he's a good passer. He's a smart kid. He's bigger than, he's bigger than Tyler. Yeah, he's 6'10". And, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, significantly though. I mean, like we're talking longer arms, bigger yeah, shoulders. Broader. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, significantly bigger. Uh, not as effective because nobody's as effective as Tyler was just because he out hustled everybody. He's a bit of a crazy person and I love Tyler, but <laughs> like it, that uh, PJ's more skilled, not as effective. PJ's really good. Uh, he reminds me of a jump shooting Jeff Foster. You remember Jeff Foster? Yeah, I love Jeff Foster. There you yeah, go. Jump yeah, jump shooting Jeff one. Foster. That kind of athlete, <laughs> that kind of talker on defense, kind of an emotional wrecking ball uh, for other teams. Did you Have you seen the clip where PJ's shooting a free throw and he makes his first one? And he gets people to stand up on their feet as he's about to shoot the second one. It reminded me of Happy Gilmore. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, we don't get any noise here. He's trying to shoot a free throw. It was awesome. Like, he, he's he's a special human, and uh, he's going to have a monster year. And I think Clemson's going to be good. Joe Gerard's there, too, now. Yeah, I, I like that transfer. collection of guys. Yeah, I like uh, I like the additions that they made. And I also, I will see them in Asheville at the Asheville Championship. They're playing there with Maryland. Uh, with Davidson and with UAB. So there are four good programs that are going to be down in Asheville early in the season. And I think Maryland is a team that I really like. Probably if I you know, really went through my top 30, Maryland's another team. Memphis is another team you could throw in the mix there. But I think Clemson is going to be really good this year. And I'm excited mm-hmm. to see what they look like. Excited to watch them. Um, Terrence, thanks so much for coming on the show. We will have you back. We'll talk through some of these teams as we get closer to the season. Really appreciate it. And I hope you uh, you know, are able to enjoy sort of the downtime. We, pr- we pretty much have like a month before it starts revving up again. And then we get the real top 25s around like mid-October. So hope you can enjoy the break and the downtime before things start to ramp up again, man. Thanks again. Yeah, man. I appreciate you so much. And like I said, man, I've been listening to you for a long time. This is awesome for me. This is a bucket list item and I appreciate (laughs) it. So uh, anytime you need me, I'll be here. Perfect. We'll have you back. Thanks again for coming on the show, man. 